What's up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast coming at you. The crew is here with you. Episode 53. I hope everyone enjoyed the one-year special. Thanks, everyone who came out. Thanks our thanks to our guests, everyone that was in the chat. Uh, it was really awesome. It was a great time. So it was just a great time. Uh, the crew is here with you. Richard, what's going on? Hey, everyone. What's going on? What's up, Seth? How's it going? Going good, guys. How you doing? Doing okay. On the docket, we are going to be talking about the SCG Standard Open Atlanta. It was the first, kind of the inaugural uh, event that brought Oath of the Gatewatch to Standard. Turns out Oath of the Gatewatch actually had a pretty good impact on Standard this time around, uh, unlike Battle for Zendikar, right, Seth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. thankfully, Oath is way better. So Yeah. Um, we're going hi- we're gonna to touch a little bit on the modern classic, but we figure between uh, next week and the following week, we're going to be talking like a lot about modern. So we're going to kind of leave that to the next two weeks. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about – so we're mostly going to talk about standard and uh, a little bit of finance stuff. Uh, we have a lot of fish mail left over, so we're going to tackle those too. So let's get right down to it. Uh, the SCG Standard Open. What did you guys think, Richard? Uh, World Breaker is a pretty nasty card. <laughs> I, I caught parts yeah. of day one, and I caught the sequence where uh, I think it was Jerry Thompson. He he's empty-handed, or he has like one card untapped. Painful truths into Treasure Cruise into Magmatic Insight. Looks at like eight new cards and proceeds to lose the game because his opponent just starts chaining World Breakers together. Casts like three before uh, Jerry scoops it up. So uh, we got some powerful stuff going on in Standard right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Seth, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I was excited to see some new cards actually have a big impact on the format, which is the complete opposite of Battle for Zendikar. But we actually ended up with a ton of different Eldrazi decks. We ended up with a sweet blue-red Prowess deck that did well. And then even in some of the stock decks, the Jess guys, um, the Rally decks, we were still seeing some new cards show up there. So I was mostly just encouraged that, unlike BFC, Oath is actually doing something right away in Standard. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing to note is uh, I know we you like to break down uh, the numbers for the new sets, uh, Seth. What did you actually think? Because... Richard, when you post these results, uh, we get the online price, like in tickets, and the paper price. What do you think of these prices now that uh, we've kind of we, we've kind of gone a little bit further away than that really insane standard price tag? But this seems a little more reasonable. I mean, you look at the top uh, couple lists. I mean, Atarka Red coming in at a little over 300. The the Mono Green Eldrazi list a little over 300. Jeskai Black is still going to cost around 700. But I mean, you go down the line. I mean, it's it's looking a lot more reasonable um, to play standard these days. And you have this Mono Black Eldrazi list by uh, Barry Warner. I, I hope I'm not butchering his name, but uh, coming in at under 200 dollars. So seems like not only is it uh, fun because you get to you you now have Oath of the Gatewatch coming in making an impact. For at least a little while, April kind of opens things back up again uh, when two sets rotate, but it looks like the cost has come down drastically. Yeah, I think for me, the big takeaway is the overall price of the format is still on the high end, I think, when right. you consider Jeskai Black and stuff. But what we have now that was missing this past fall is there are actual budget options. You can build some decks on this list for under 200 bucks or under 300 bucks, And that wasn't true back in November or October, where if you wanted to play a tier one deck, you had to spend four, five, eight hundred dollars. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's still kind of high. You're, you're absolutely right about that. But in comparison to where we were, I mean, it's definitely an improvement. We're heading um, in the right direction. That's, yeah, we're definitely heading sure. in the right direction. Yeah. Um, so what was your what was your big takeaway here from the from the cars that were really performing? Uh, I want to kind of hear from both of you because um, I got to say, like, Worldbreaker was definitely a car that, that people were looking at and then – you know, suddenly it increased, but it didn't even really increase that much. I mean, I still think we have the, the expedition uh, effect where not a lot of cards are going to be uh, commanding a high price tag. And I think that's actually a pretty good thing because uh, I know we've talked a lot about <laughs> like the, the, the modern like uh, price increases and it's left a big sour taste in everyone's mouth. But um, these expeditions are actually... Uh, kind of driving down prices to a, a very honest or more modest uh, uh, price. Like, so, so not a lot of cards are, are taking up or, or commanding too high of a price tag. Uh, so this weekend was pretty interesting. Like you guys said, a ton of the new cards were being played. And I think for the first time ever, like most of the predictions on the cards were correct. Like usually there's, you know, all this talk about, oh, these cards will see play, these cards will be awesome. And then like usually only some percentage of those predictions pan out. But this time it seemed like everyone was right about everything. It's weird because uh, we found out that World Breaker was actually legitimate. Thought Not Seer uh, was legitimate, showed up in tons of decks. Uh, we even got things like um, Chandra showing up in uh, Jerry Thompson's yeah. deck. Uh, people were on the fence about that. Uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers was in a bunch of red decks. Uh, Kalita's was in black decks. So basically all the cards that people thought were good yeah. turned out to be good, right? And we got some surprises like Chandra actually, you know, finding a home and getting put, I think it was one in the main and one in the side. Uh, yes. In Jeskai, Jeskai Black, I guess we're calling it. So a lot of the cards that people thought were good were actually seeing play. And that's surprising because usually that doesn't happen. Yeah. Go ahead, Seth. Well, to be fair about Chandra, I know Cedric mentioned on stream that he talked to Jerry Thompson, and Jerry made it really clear that he was testing it out because it's a new card, and he wasn't sure if it was like a long-term fit in the deck. So I'm still not 100% sold on Chandra and Jeskai, although it did look pretty sweet on camera a few times. So maybe it has a shot. But for me, the big takeaways, apart from what Richard said, which is exactly true, like everything everyone thought would happen basically happened. I was excited to see Reflector Mage actually show up in Constructed and be really good in Constructed as an answer for the four-color Rally decks to be Anafenza. So that was cool. Um... I, I, my big takeaway from a meta perspective is that Eldrazi decks are going to be really good, but no yeah. one has figured out how to build them yet. Or maybe it's just not anybody has figured out how to, how to do it, but maybe there's just exactly a few ways to do it. I mean, it doesn't seem like any one build is uh, leaps and bounds better than the other. I mean, they all seem pretty successful. And you have I, a green-red Eldrazi list. Um, you have a mono-green Eldrazi list in the top 10. And then outside of that, you have, you know, a range of, uh, of colors. And I think the big the big deal is people are trying to figure out the colorless mana. Like, Thought Not right. Seer is such a good card, but this is such a big change, trying to figure out how to incorporate what plays like a six color of mana in standard into your decks, that people are still trying to figure out, like, 
how much do you do you play waste so you can take and play thought not seer or so you can get a rampant growth effect uh, what colorless lands do you play how many colorless sources do you need so you can take advantage of thought not seer and some of the other colorless cards so i think that for i'm really impressed that they showed up in such force on week one when it's a pretty complicated deck to figure out to get the mana right so i was impressed that they showed up right away right off the bat yeah uh, yeah. just a it's, little, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Richard. I just add to that, it seems like it's the Primeval Titan situation back right. in, uh, I forgot when that was, like, M12 or M11, where yes. you had the core of Rampant Growth, Solemn, uh, Similicrum, and Primeval Titan, and, uh, people just chose their splash color, whether it was black for Grave Titan, uh, red for Wolf Run and Infernal Titan and whatnot, or just mono green, and... All the decks were viable, and it was kind of a metagame choice. It seems like we're at that point here where you have the colorless backbone, uh, you have your green for ramp, and then, you know, you get to choose, you want, you want to go black, do you want to go green, or, you know, what, what do you want to do for the other colors now that you have this ramp into Ulamog strategy? So, right. I think that's a pretty good spot for standard. Yeah, being a sucker for aggro, I, I really liked Barry's deck. Uh, I thought it was just really interesting to see him go that, that direction, because it definitely, there's something there for sure. Um, and and it, it, just a little diatribe, but um, I, I think this could actually be a deck in modern, to be honest with you. Um, if, if you're playing cards, I mean, like we said, Seth, um, the, the big Eldrazi lists are already playing City of Traders and... Uh, uh, ancient tomb i mean that just seems amazing when you're when you're going into stuff like reality smasher on like as early as uh turn three um so i don't know i think there's something there for sure yeah i agree with you i i'm that's one of the reasons i'm really excited for the pro tour that's coming up that we're not going to talk much about this week but right there are there's so much potential for eldrazi and modern from eldrazi uh, mimic decks that can yes. potentially kill on turn two with the right draws to these mid-rangey aggro decks with Thought Not Seer and Reality Smasher to decks that are trying to cast Emrakul and Ulamog in these like 11 drops and 15 drops. So I'm really excited to see where this all shakes out with the Modern Pro Tour because you know the pros are going to be testing them. The cards are so powerful. It's just finding that right mix and I think someone will. Yeah. It, I mean, it's crazy that it, it's good enough for standard. I, I think... If it's good enough for standard, it's definitely good enough for modern because you get Eye of Ugin, and then that just opens up a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> but um, going back to the to the you know just to the uh, the standard portion, SCG Atlanta. Um, I gotta say, I really like uh, these collected company de decks too, and we get to keep collected company for a while. And uh, Sylvan Advocate was a, another really good rare, like just another just card that just jumped out to me as doing really cool stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty good as a collected company target. Six lands isn't that hard. And then it just turns all your shambling vents into four or five lifelinkers. I mean, that's insane. And it showed up in quite a few deck lists, so that's why I kind of bring it up. Uh, it showed up in some ramp decks, too, to some extent, the, the big mana decks. But yeah. it, it's definitely interesting to see the abs and company list because they can even take advantage of some of the colorless cards. You see Matter Reshaper popping up in there. Yep. Uh, so they've gotten a lot of a lot of new powerful two and three mana creatures, LE, Eternal Pilgrim. So they just have so many more options now that it's uh I think they're going to be a player for a while, even through rotation, because like you said, we don't lose uh, the key card in the deck, the collected company. Right, and we also get to keep Den Protector and Deathmiss Raptors. So I think as long as those three cards 
Jamoka's Command. I mean, you get to keep a lot of stuff. But yeah, I really liked... It's awesome and kind of disheartening at the same time because we only get this until April. But I think... um you mentioned this, Seth. I think it's great. Actually, it's better that we kind of wait. Uh, I know a lot of people are kind of bummed out that, like, we don't get a pro tour to showcase this. But I think I'd rather wait to the next pro tour to see Shadows Over Innistrad just all this, like, really mint new standard. And, and I'm okay waiting for that. Well, and I mean, on that point, to be fair, we did see a lot of the same stuff, too. We still, right. Atarka Red won the tournament, Jeskai Black is in the top eight, Red Black Dragons was all over the place, Joel Lissette's still playing Five Color Bring Delight, the only person in the world still playing that deck. <laughs> but, so if there was a Pro Tour now, we would see some cool new stuff, but you're right, we're going to see a lot of the same stuff. Five color, color Rally, or Four Color Rally was probably still the best deck in the tournament, as far as the number it put into the top yeah. 32. So... I'm more excited to wait as well, just because all those decks are gone. There's no rally decks. Abzan is not going to be the same without Siege Rhino. You can't play Five Color Bring to Light without the Fetch Land. So we're going to see this whole new format. So I'm super excited for that Pro Tour, which isn't that far away. It's like no, it's six not. weeks or eight weeks after the Pro Tour for Modern, which is coming up yeah. two weekends from now. So it's worth the yeah, wait. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any kind of final takeaways or, or thoughts or just... Um you know, ideas of maybe what what is doing well now that can that can definitely still survive uh, even after April. Uh, I even looked at this uh, the the blue red uh, prowess deck. I mean, even this deck remains mostly intact uh, even after rotation. I, you do lose a couple of key cards, but you know, at the same time, it's the premise is still there. I don't know if it keeps its uh, explosive kills, but uh, I think it's it'll be a little more honest, but I think it's can be it st- still be a deck. Well, I mean, the big one for me is Eldrazi. Like that, right, right, all yeah. the Eldrazi are from Battle for Zendikar and from Oath. So I think that deck gets stronger by default, just because all the other tier one options are going to get weaker because of rotation. Right, and from the looks of it, uh, I think people have settled on their ramp spells, and all of those survive too. Nissa's Pilgrimage, Nissa's Renewal, Hedron Archive, and Explosive Vegetation are all cards that survive. Yeah, the whole so, deck, I mean, you you lose Ugin, basically. Is that the one key card that you lose? And that could be replaced uh, by a Chandra, maybe, or something? Yeah, you lose Ugin and, like, Rattleclaw Mystic, and I, I'm pretty sure, like, that's it. Yeah, and I mean, you those could, are like the big ones. You could even play that colorless two mana ramper guy, and you wouldn't lose much. It might even be better if you're going on the like, <laughs> right, reality yeah. smasher plan. So, <laughs> right, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm super. Ex- I'm just as excited as you, uh, Seth. I, I love uh, where these Eldrazi lists are going, and and just the fact that there's so many of them, like so many, so many ways to do it. Like you said, Richard, it's like that. It's the primeval titan uh, effect where you could literally just kind of play anything you want as long as. As long as it's built around Primeval Titan. So, I'm excited. I, I really am. Uh, in terms of uh, financial stuff, uh, we wanted to kind of touch on this a little bit. I know you wrote an article a little while ago now uh, highlighting the mythics. But it just, like Richard said, it kind of seemed like everyone was in the right spot for all these mythics. And a lot of them were getting uh, some, at least some uh, attention. So, I, I like the output. Like, I like the, the uh, outlook of this set. Uh, I, I do still think that there could be a few cards that will uh, maybe not increase, but definitely hold their values uh, because there is the expedition effect. I'll bet they're not as, I, I wouldn't say overall they're as good as the battle for Zendikar ones, but they are still there. And um, I don't, I don't see any one card uh, 
you know, running away with it. But, um, you know, we might see – we talked about this, uh, this rotation thing before. Uh, some of these cards start to increase a little bit as we get closer to April. But I don't even think by that much. Yeah. I mean, I think that I'm still going on the theory that some of the colorless cards are going to drop a bit. Uh, and then are going to take off just because they're going to be so much better in April. But I don't think they're going to crash or anything. So I think, honestly, the most interesting financial news outside of World Breaker, which was the big standard winner, is actually happening in Modern. Like, Modern is the Wild West right now as far as finance. Yeah, it really really is. (laughs) So any just before we segue into financial stuff, uh, Richard, any kind of final thoughts? Uh, I'm in the boat with I'm sad that there's no Pro Tour for Standard. I, I <laughs> yeah. really wanted to see these decks taken to the next level, but uh, like you guys said, we're going to have to wait for Shadows Over Innistrad, and we're going to get a brand new Standard at that time. So uh, we got SCG events until then, so that'll have to hold us over. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. Do you feel like adding them adding the modern Pro Tour was fine here, or you would still rather just all standard Pro Tours? Because, I mean, Seth does have a point. You are still getting some of the same, but um, and I understand, Richard, that some people are kind of disappointed, but uh, wouldn't you like rather just have everything like mint brand new? Like, I, I think I, I'm in the camp of standard Pro Tours and more modern GPs. Um, right. But I think this okay. time it will just work out because we're going to get a ton of Oath cards in Modern, and with the with the banning of Splinter Twin, the format's going to be pretty shaken up. So I think we're actually going to see a lot of fresh decks or a, a lot more changes than you would normally see in Modern this Pro Tour. So I think it will just happen to work out. But you know, I, I'd rather have a weekend celebrating the new set rather than you know looking at Tarmogoyfs and stuff the entire weekend. So I, I yeah. think standard Pro Tour is still better, but I think this time it'll just work out with uh, how Oath will end up affecting Modern. Yeah. All right, segueing into finance, uh, we haven't really bro- – like, we haven't done this in a few weeks, so I po- we apologize about that. We kind of try to work it in as much as we can, but we didn't really sit down and look at the charts. Um, it, it's a lot to get through, so – just before we look at individual cards, um, in terms of modern, Seth, you're right. There's there's some stuff happening in standard, but really it's the Wild West in modern right now. And there's just a ton of cards up across the board. And we do have a, a couple fish mail about those, so they might get answered here, but we will take the time to answer them individually. But yeah, just everything across the board, Seth, is just increasing in price. And uh, some of car- some cards just increasing at, at an alarming rate. Yeah, it's, I mean, and hundreds and hundreds of percentage. Definitely crazy. Yeah, it's it, it is crazy in modern at the moment. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, we did you want to talk about a couple of specific cards? I mean, where we might be heading next? Uh, I mean, I just look at some of these cards. Uh, more recently, you know, Grover the Burn Willows, uh, Crucible, Flagstones of Trocare, Ink Moth. I mean, these are just even Restoration Angel. These are just all cards in modern that are in modern decks and with a a huge banning uh it's kind of just wide open right now we did get that scg modern classic that doesn't really show us a lot uh considering it's just one event uh but it seems like it's really up in the air right now with a emphasis on uh creature or fast creature decks because we did see a ton of zoo merfolk affinity um you know, we saw a little bit of John, the the teamer Delver list that took the the uh, the classic down. So I don't know if that's just one. I don't know how much we can take away from one event, but 
it still seems pretty open to me, and the prices are reflecting that. Yeah, I mean, for me, looking through the prices, you can basically see people placing their bets on what the new modern format's going to look like. Some things that show up there a lot are anything that has to do with land destruction. A lot of people think that Tron or Eldrazi could be big decks in this new format, which, and just to be clear, we'll know a way more once the Pro Tour. Like, yes, this SCG result is interesting and it's cool to see, but the Pro Tour is what's going to set the meta going forward and what decks show up and do well there. But people are betting on land destruction. Uh, you see Crucible of Worlds, which works with Ghost Quarter, also prevents uh, land destruction. If you're uh, if you're an Eldrazi deck or a Tron deck, that's a sideboard option to get your lands back. You see Flagstones works with Boom Bust, which is also on the list. Fulminator Mage. Then you see Infect card. You see Inkmoth Nexus showing up. You see other Tron cards like Oblivion Stone, Gorio's Vengeance, another deck that could benefit and be the new like Amulet Bloom, basically the turn two combo deck of choice. You see some burn cards. So basically, people are placing their bets on what they think the new format's going to look like and just hoping that it shakes out in their favor come Pro Tour weekend. Yeah. Uh, the big question that I guess you and I continue to get is, like, what what do people do in the, in these situations? And, you know, not to be a neg- like, not to be hugely negative, but, I mean, there's not really much you can do at this point. I mean, it's it's a modern season. There was a long period of time where if you needed these cards, and we've talked about this in previous casts, not to kind of just rehash all of this, but um, it, I mean, if you're if you are dead set on playing a deck, there's really no reason not to wait. Like, th- don't wait. Like, if you're going to play these decks, they're only going to get more expensive. Yeah, I mean, I think if yeah, if you want to play a deck, try to buy the cards uh, six months ago, obviously, or three months ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but since that's not possible, I think. My advice would be to wait at this point until after the Pro Tour, because there's a chance that some of these cards just don't show up. Like, maybe Jeskai Control isn't doing anything, and Resto doesn't see any play, and it could start ticking back down over the spring when people are focused on a standard Pro Tour and Shadows over Innistrad. So unless you know a deck you really want to play and you're just willing to bite the bullet, see what happens at the Pro Tour and and make your bets based on that, because at this point, we just really don't know. Like, it is... No one expected the Splinter Twin banning, or very few people, and now the whole format is just uh, thrown in all different directions, and no one is exactly sure how it's going to shake out. So in those situations, I like to be conservative and just kind of wait and let things play themselves out before I do anything major uh, financially. Yeah, I mean, I echo those sentiments. It seems just kind of crazy to be buying into all of these cars that are, you know, increasing by drastic percentages. Unless you really, really need them and you're planning on grinding a lot of modern at large events, um, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to, I mean, what really, what else are you going to be buying them for? Like F&M? I think you can forego a couple of F&Ms just to save yourself a, a quite a uh, quite a bit of money on some of these staples. Yeah, I mean, because at this point, the prices have increased so much that you're probably missing most of the price gain. So you're probably, on a lot of these cards at least, going to be buying at like their peak price. So if you had done this like a few weeks ago, it would have been fine to buy any of these cards, knowing what we know now in hindsight. But at this point, 
I think why a few cards will continue to increase. If you look over this winner's list, most of those are probably near their peak and you're going to be better off waiting. So to, the best way you can play the odds is just by doing nothing, I believe, instead of hoping you can pick the couple cards that might still break out and even though they've already doubled or tripled, might go up even more at the Pro Tour. Yeah, and and, and you look back through these these. You know, you like, like you said, Seth. You look back through all these these winners. I mean, some of these some of these are kind of more justified than others. I mean, they they do see play in modern. They're in uh, existing modern decks. You look at Fulminator Mage, Restoration Angel, Oblivion Stone, stuff like that. Even Goblin Guide. Then some of them are like more speculative. Not really, but I mean, Flagstones of Trocare, Boom Bust, even uh, a new uh, recently increasing card, Past in Flames. Well, that's really more in Storm, but maybe, you know, namely stuff like Flagstones, Boom Bust, that's just really, like, you don't even know. That's just an outside shot of maybe they see play off the back of, like, a card like uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers or something like that. Um, So I wouldn't really be buying into those cards, but yeah, I mean, a lot of them are in existing lists already, and it kind of makes sense that uh, a lot of them are up across the board. So, so like you said, it, it's just better to wait. I mean, unless you're really into grinding modern and you want to play modern and you just have to play modern, um, waiting even longer is just not a good idea. I mean, that's just the most you can get, you could take away from this. I mean, you're saving yourself a lot of heartache and your, and a lot of dollar bills in your pocket, uh, to shell out at, like you said, Seth, at the, what seems to be the peak of these cards prices. Yeah, and like you mentioned, a lot of these cards aren't really even cards that you would necessarily see coming, so I don't think people even like miss the boat on these. It's just that Wizards threw this curveball with the twin banning that wasn't expected, so I don't feel bad that you didn't buy flagstones a few weeks ago because no one was thinking there was a reason to buy flagstones and there still might not be a reason to buy flagstones and right. it might be completely misguided. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think it's just a product of this really crazy BNR uh, announcement that no one saw coming. Yeah. And the overarching issue here is a lot of these cards that were reprinted in modern masters, uh, not, you know, not too long ago are up, uh, past or around their previous, uh, you know, suppressed price when they were reprinted. And, you know, that largely speaks to a larger, you know, that speaks to a larger issue here. Uh, but, you know, not to get into a whole diatribe about that, but uh, yeah, this is just the product of what I feel is uh, these master sets, you know, not, not doing what they need to do. And they're not overall not successful. Uh, I think they're successful in the fact that, you know, Wizards is reprinting stuff. Uh, they've done a really good job, I think, of, you know, reprinting stuff way, you know, way more than they have ever in the past. And this is just a biased opinion because I've been playing this game a long time. Um, you know, so they're doing, I think, due diligence. But, you know, can it can it improve? Can it be better? Absolutely. And I think we're going to start seeing uh, that here soon. Um, I think they're kind of, they've used these, they want to be a little more conservative, but I think they might open it up here soon. Uh, that's just my hope and, and, and where I think the, the direction they're going. Uh, so hopefully that, that starts soon because yeah, this, should, this is just a byproduct of all the, all the issues in the market. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the non-successful, I guess, overall non-successful, uh, push of these of these master sets and pushing a lot of these uh staples into the market it's just not enough yeah yeah i mean and i think that if you look back this is almost exactly how the original modern masters responded so 
So this is predictable. Flagstones wasn't, but it was a pretty safe bet that the cards that C Play and Modern from MM2 were going to start increasing right about now with a Modern Pro Tour in Based on History. So I think the lesson, while you're right, and I want to see more aggressive reprints and uh, smarter reprints, this is definitely a lesson to remember two years from now, assuming there nothing major changes. Pick up the the Modern Masters 2017 cards that summer. Even if you're like, I don't know if I want to play these right now, uh, if you have the money available, you're going to do yourself a service by picking them up while they're low in the summer than waiting until the Pro Tour that winter. Right. Richard, did you want to chime in on any of this? Uh, no. <laughs> I have my modern deck. It, it's sitting here. Uh, I can't play any new modern decks, unfortunately. But uh, to, yeah. to test point, what if I just load it up on Bob's when the last Modern Master came out? Yeah. Yes, but Bob doesn't really see play in modern and wasn't even really seeing play in modern at that time. But you could not have predicted that. Bob yeah. powerhouse. So, I, yeah. so powerful that it was printed in two modern masters. This what what yeah. if you were what if you were hoarding uh, Eye of Ugens? <laughs> yeah. I am just I'm just I'm just I'm just trying to give you a hard time, but I, okay. well, if you bought all the modern master cards then you'd be pretty set right now cuz I was just looking at the price of Fulminator Mage and I'm like why does this thing keep going up? And yeah. and that's that's one of the techniques I'm really interested in. If you have enough money, instead of viewing it as a speculation thing and trying to pick, oh, how much play is Bob going to see six months from now? Which card is going to increase? If you have enough money to do this, you're better off picking up a playset of everything that might see play. And six months down the road, that is going to be profitable. You'll you will make more money than you lose when you look at all the card prices adjusting up and down on the Fulminator mages that are increasing than you will on the bobs that don't go anywhere. So if you have yeah. the money around, don't treat it like, oh, a speculation, I got to buy 100 Fulminator mages. Buy a playset of everything you might need and might see play, and you're putting yourself in a good position. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's even just for playing them, too. And, and at this point, let's just say, you know, you bought all these cards uh, from Modern Masters. I mean, you, we talked about this uh, the other time, uh, Richard. You're right. You would have to have the money at the time to buy all these cards, and then what if you never really played them? Well, at this point, if you were buying Fulminator Mages, and, and like you said, Seth, not really treating it as, like, speculation, but just picking up these modern cards that you had, like, an inclination you wanted to play, and even if you didn't really even feel you needed them at the point, like buying the Fulminator Mages or Eye of Ugin or just something like that, now, you know, six months later, X months later, when all these cards are increasing, you can, you know, move them profitably and then turn them into the stuff that you are definitely going to be playing during this modern season. Well, well let's, or, let's go off on a tangent for a second here, because this is the problem that I have, right? Right. So let's say I picked up a set of Inquisitions at, I don't know what they were, like four bucks a piece. Right. I, I have a set of Urborgs when they were like, I don't know what they were, like three bucks or whatever. Yeah. Right. So now I'm like, I'm paper rich, right? Like, oh, I, theoretically, my deck is so expensive. I have all these expensive cards. I bought them when they were low. Perfect. Right. However, if I want to keep playing my deck, right, I'll just play it. And I don't really realize any of these games. If I want to sell my deck to actually make the money, then I have to play some tier two deck that's under the radar right now. So the the high price of modern looks okay from like a speculative perspective. But when you're actually playing the decks, you're kind of always perpetually forced to play tier two under the radar decks that are cheap. Uh, if you want to like actually cash in in all the specs, right? Like if, if you were playing Tron and now Karn just like shot up, if you sell Karn, you can't play Tron anymore. So if you want to play Tron, you got to kind of just sit here and you're actually just going to, you know, ride out the price bump or you kind of sell it and then go play a tier two deck, which actually still has cheap cards in it. 
So that that's kind of the the weirdness of all these spikes going up and down. Like a lot of times you can't actually realize any of the gains. But at the same time, like yeah, you're still you're you're playing Jund in modern, and you're not spending a hundred dollars on a playset in Inquisition. So you still come out a winner. <laughs> I mean, if you bought the yeah, but I mean, I was playing a bad deck, or I paid the high price at some point. You know what I mean? Like I like you know, if you were playing Aldrazi a year ago for some reason. <laughs> You'd be making out like a bandit, right? But you had to play Eldrazi when it was terrible a year ago. But if you I, want to play it right now, you have to pay the high price. So it's kind of like a lose-lose situation. You always got to play that under-the-radar deck that's, that's just about to break out, right? Like, I, that's kind of the secret to... I, I think if if you're working with one deck, I see what you're saying. And, and you're yeah. right. If your idea is to have one modern deck, then yes, you are in a really bad position. I guess... What I was advocating is uh, if you have the resources to do it, try to build a modern collection. So then when you want to build a deck, you have access to the expensive pieces and you picked up those pieces when they were at a cheap, like on the downswing because of a reprinting or something. So that's what I was advocating. But if your goal is to just have one deck, then then you're right. That is a big issue. Yeah. And what you're talking to, Seth, is more of like the original intent of, finance and magic the gathering or whatever you really want to call it and what we we talk about you're absolutely right like not to treat it as like speculation but if you were buying these to kind of start amassing a modern collection i mean you were doing yourself a great service by doing them when they the cards were reprinted because now i mean you look at the cards they're all increasing or they're all back to the original prices and you know, it's still a win. I mean, even if you're not using the cards, it's still a win to get them at a low price. Or, I mean, it's still a win if you're not going to use them at all and you've decided you're not using them. You can turn them into a deck that you really want to play. And, and Richard, it might not have to be a Tier 2 deck that's under the radar. You can go, you know, take all these uh, gains and turn them into a ideal Tier 1 deck that you're going to want to play uh, sometime down the road. Yes, it, it does suck, like, if you're sitting on a Jun deck or something like that, and it's a middle-of-the-road deck, and, you know, you really can't... Once you sell the cards, they're gone, um, and it's hard to kind of move into a higher-priced deck. I mean, you still do have a modern deck at the end of the day, and you can still enjoy uh, modern to, to some success. Um, but well, at the first same off, time... Jund is awesome, but continue. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. <laughs> continue your right. point. Just using th- theoreticals <laughs> here, yeah. Jund is awesome. It is awesome. Um but at the same time, this is like kind of where, you know, pe- what people were doing for a long time now, and this is more of the finance of the game, is is looking for those opportunities to build a collection, and then all of a sudden you have this large modern collection, and you can, and you're able to play more than one deck. You can switch from deck to deck. Um, right now it doesn't look that great, but uh, six months ago, seven months ago, when some of these cards were, you know, even like Fulminator Mage was like 10 bucks. I mean, you you now have these cards in your collection, and whether they increase or not, you don't really have to care because if you're going to use them to play, you have them to play. If you if you really do care about you know cashing in on those rewards, you can cash in and you know use those to buy cards, even if they're inflated, but cards that you're actually going to use. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all all your points. Like, you basically don't play a deck; you play the format. If you want right. to keep things as cheap as possible, but the buy-in for that is extremely high, right? It like, is. This applies to standard as well, right? Like, right. if you want to play the latest hotness, then you, you be prepared to pay for, you know, $60 Mythics, $80 Mythics, right? But mm-hmm. if you buy, like, the entire the entirety of standard, you'll get those cards before they spike, right? However, your initial investment into standard is going to be a couple thousand dollars instead of a couple hundred for a deck, right? Same with modern. If you want 
to have all the staples. I don't even know how much that costs, right? Like oh my god, five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars, and then you can play anything without yeah. worrying about spikes, right? But it kind of just makes the barrier to entry, you know, very high. It does. And it's similar to the oh, can't afford vintage. Well, if you bought back in 1993, you know, <laughs> you're, you're good. good, right? Like, yeah, that makes sense. But what happens to the guy coming in now that wants to play, right? Like, they're they're and, they're a bit screwed. <laughs> and the only other thing I'd say is you're you're definitely right, Richard. But you also with modern and internal formats, you don't have to do it all at once either. Like, I know my Magic Online collection, which I, I don't know is is fairly valuable. That wasn't just me saying, okay, I'm going to put $4,000 into Magic Online or whatever the number is. It was me, like, buying a deck and then buying a couple cards here and buying a couple cards there. And now, six years later, I have, like, a pretty good collection. So if I want to build a deck, I have a lot of the cards that I need to play Modern. So I think maybe the solution, to some extent, if you can afford it, is not selling your cards when you want to switch decks. Like if you can hold on to your inquisitions, then you'll have them. If a year down the road, you decide you want to go back to Jund after switching to Tron or whatever. So that's what I try to do with magic online. Instead of always just selling out all my stuff, if I can, I try to hold on to it and then invest a little bit more money to get the pieces I'm missing to build the next deck. So then I always have that base of staples uh, for my collection. Do you guys want to move into fish mail now? Because we have a lot of... Yes, let's, uh, let's, let's tackle these fish mail. We do have a lot of we, them. We have a bunch of fish mail from this week and then a couple from before our live cast, which we couldn't get to. Uh, right. But this question is from Matt Pafar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, his question is about Ive Ugin from Modern Masters 2015. He bought them for like 10 cents. Uh, he has a lot of them, and now they're up to $12. Uh, should I take advantage of the spike, or is this the service of potential? Uh, basically, should you wait for the Modern Pro Tour and see what shakes out and see if Kozilek and stuff uh, shoots it up even further, or should he sell out now at uh, whatever the current price is? I mean, just from any investment standpoint, I, I'm never going to say never. Like, wait, it's never a bad thing to lock in, like profits. Like, if you're already in the green and and you're you're profiting, there's just no there's no bad. Wait, there's there's not a bad. Like, it's not bad to lock in then. Um, if you really want to try and test the waters and see if they go up more, I mean, at this point they've gone up since this question was asked. So uh, it would have. It, it's great that you waited, but um, there's really no wrong. It's not bad to lock in profits, either, whether it be now or or back then when you were buying them for ten cents and selling them for twelve dollars. That's already really great. I I will say I think that this question is in relation to Magic Online, just by the prices mentioned okay. and ten cents and then twelve dollars yeah, for Iavugan. Um, <laughs> And I would say that I went through, because I drafted quite a bit of uh, the last Modern Masters, and when I noticed these spikes, I went through my collection and sold all my extra copies of Eye of Ugin and Eldrazi Temple and just kept a playset that I needed because I want to play the deck. So, so that's my opinion. I would lock in my profits, especially on Magic Online, where things happen so quickly. Like, you could lose half the value of Eye of Ugin in a day if it doesn't show up at the Pro Tour. Like, prices fluctuate so much more than in paper. I'm all for locking in good profits like that on Magic Online. Yeah, and just in general. Yeah. So, so the real question is, did you make a, like a bandit? How many copies did you sell? I I didn't have that many. I think I had like four extra Ayavugans and 
maybe like six Eldrazi Temples. But the thing is, those cards weren't that playable in the set. Like, you didn't want to be drafting Eye of Ugans and Eldrazi Temples. So I'm sure there was someone sitting in my drafts with the foresight to, like, use their 13th picks on every Eldrazi <laughs> Tremble. It's like a millionaire now on Magic Online. Yeah. Uh, okay, from Martin Nielsen. Uh, congrats on the one year. Uh, I have a question about Judge Promos. Uh, basically, the new Mana Drain and Rashad import. Uh, they're still very new, but the prices seem insane. Uh, is it just the first few opportunists trying to score big, or are these prices what we can expect for the highly sought-after reprints? Uh, are some promos rarer than the other? Well, you also have to take into account what the promos are, and I, I just have to say personally, the Rashad and Port looks fantastic. This this promo. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it seems like a thousand euro is crazy. Um, I don't know how really these judge promos go, but I mean, there's just not a lot of them in existence. So, I mean, you never know what these judge promos, they can command quite a hefty price tag um, and not really drop down that much because this is not just like a mainstream promo. One thing I'm not sure about anymore is exactly how judge promos are distributed. I know that they used to be, they would actually pay the judges at events by giving them a package that would have promos in it. So the Richard and Port or whatever would be in these promo packs for a certain amount of time. So the supply would be increasing. But now that they've changed things up and they're actually like paying judges, I'm not 100% sure how these are distributed. So it might not be that way. And it's possible that they just send them out to the judges and the supply that is going to exist was all mailed out on the same day to judges worldwide in that day. And then that would suggest the price is going to stay higher if that is how they're doing it now. Yeah. Yeah. I I would put these as collector items at at this point. Like these are so rare and so few people actually buy them and want them. It's really like, can you find someone to buy this and how much are they willing to pay? Yeah. Like just because they're listed at some price doesn't mean that's the going price because like how many of these are sold in a month, in a day? Like I'm, I'm guessing very little. Uh, they're just like a piece of art or something that's, you know, it's the, the value is whoever buys it, what are they willing to pay? So that that's where I think these kind of these older, uh, these judge promos of older cards end up as. I mean, that's, that's a great – yeah, I I'm, I'm I totally agree with you, Richard. Uh, we got a question from Tim Salon. Uh, this is a lore question, I believe. With Gideon, Chandra, Nissa, and Jace all now effectively standing watch, what are the chances that this means we won't be seeing them again, or at least anytime soon? From a story standpoint, it gives us a reason why Liliana didn't join, since we're going to Innistrad next. She's likely to play a big part there. Maybe we get another Liliana of the Veil? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that with Ugin on the loose and stories being rewritten, we might get another Nicol Bolas Walker. Thoughts? So Lily reprint in Shadows, Nicol Bolas Walker. Uh, we're never seeing the uh, Fantastic Four ever again. They're, they're going to be sidelined <laughs> for the next year. What do you guys think? Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen that the story arc from Battle for Zendikar is going somewhere, and, and I'm pretty sure everything is leading towards Innistrad. So I think we actually might see them. Now, I don't know if they're all going to be reprinted or, or printed in you know as Planeswalkers in this set, but I think that's kind of where the story is going. I think we might see them in the, from a story standpoint. Um, I don't think we're getting a Liliana the Veil reprint, uh, you know, no matter what anyone says. I just... 
they don't reprint Planeswalkers like that. They always seem to find a way to print a new version of these Planeswalkers. And as far as Nicole Bolas goes, I'm pretty sure we will see another Walker version. Yeah, I, I was under the impression that it had been confirmed through, I don't know where I read it, the art book or something somewhere that the storyline of Shadows Over Innistrad involves all four of these Planeswalkers and they're like teaming up and going to Innistrad now for the next storyline. So, And I expect this to continue to happen at least until we get the movie. Like, I think they're really pushing these characters that will likely be the 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 centerpiece, like, lead characters in the movie whenever that eventually comes out. So I would expect to see a lot of these Planeswalkers over the next couple years. I'm not saying they'll have a Planeswalker card every set or even most sets, but I think they will be in the storyline and we'll be seeing more Oath of Jace and Chandra type cards or different flavor texts referencing them to make it clear that they are the face of magic at this point, basically. Right. Yeah, I agree. Richard? Uh, I agree with what you said, but I kind of dislike it. <laughs> like, Gideon, Chandra, Mr. Jace are also boring, right? Like, the real interesting part of magic lore is the people on the planes. Like, uh, you know, in, in Estrad, we had Thalia, we had Gissa, we had Giralf, uh, we had those guys, right? We have, um, just like whenever you go to a new set, there's basically a new environment and there, there's new stuff going on. And the characters there are very interesting. Whereas, you know, Jace and Chandra, they're always the same no matter where they go, right? And it's, it's, it's kind of getting boring. So I kind of like the, the new planes and the stories there. But I agree with you that we're probably going to see these planeswalkers forever. They're going to be showcased in the movie. They're the face of all the magic games and, um, you know, other products like, uh, the puzzle quest game and whatever. So we're going to see them forever, but I kind of like kind of the original fantasy aspects of the different planes. Uh, so moving on, we got uh, Eli Jenkinson. Uh, should I wait until after the Pro Tour to, scale, uh, to sell Scapeshift and Inquisition of Kozilek, which I'm not using at the moment? So we kind of talked about this, but you guys just want to rehash. So he's not using these cards, and should he sell them now or until or wait until after the Pro Tour? I mean, the prices are up now, so I, I would just sell into the price increase. Uh, I wouldn't wait. And that's doubly true of things like Inquisition that are uncommons, because if an uncommon gets reprinted somewhere, that price is going to get absolutely destroyed. So uh, so I, I am on the sell side, too. Uh, oh, there's a PS here. Uh, apparently, Eli played Seth on Moto. Uh, Seth was playing a stuffy doll deck, <laughs> and he was playing UR Prowess. So. Yeah, I- I think he is in our Against the Odds video, or was in our Against the Odds video this week. So, All right, we'll, we'll look out for Eli. Um, Duke Remington at Theocrisis. Uh, Paulo's article on the twin ban, he argues that modern is becoming more of a sideboard roulette. Agreed? Is this bad? Hmm. Paulo's been arguing this for <laughs> years now. This is his big yeah. criticism of modern, and... I don't know if it's more of a sideboard roulette now than it was in the past. I'd have to think about that, but he is right. Like you can't really pack sideboard cards for all the different broken things people are doing in modern. So I agree with his point, whether or not it's more like that because of the twin banning. I'm really not sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily bad, but I do agree with what he's been saying. And this is actually, we've talked about this a long time ago, haven't we? He's been, you're right. So he's been talking about this for a long time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously we don't have the pro tour in front of us, so I don't know what exactly what we're going to like, what exactly we're going to actually be seeing. Um, so I don't know if it's more of a roulette than it has been, 
But I don't know if it's necessarily bad. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of sucks that you can't always pack like sideboard hate for everything. So, so just to summarize Paulo's point, Paulo's point was Twin was the only deck that didn't need sideboard roulette. It was the only deck that could legitimately win game one versus all of these other decks without packing some like crazy sideboard card. And that argument uh, really resonated with me. Like, it, I really agree with it because like I play Jund. And basically, you gotta hope to get game one off someone, or and then like sideboard them out game two or three, right? It's like, did I draw, uh, you know, Shatterstorm or Ancient Grudge against Affinity, right? Uh, did I draw Feed the Clan versus Burn, right? And game one is just like terrible. Like you, you just can't deal with you know all these different decks. And Twin was the only deck that could do that, right? They would just remand into you know Pestermite into Twin, and then there you go, right? So I, I agree that Twin was the only deck that could stop all these decks in a fair way, and currently the way you get around it is just play another unfair deck and beat them before they beat you, or just load up on the sideboard hate and you know try to squeak out a game somewhere and then just crumble the Dust Tron twice in a row. So that that's where Modern is. Is it bad or not? Uh, I don't know, but that's that's kind of the game we're playing with Modern right now. So I, I agree with Paulo's article. I think he was I- spot on there. I will say I'm glad they moved the Pro Tour top eight back to best of five because it does lead to some swingy games. Like the best player in best deck, I think wins less in modern than it does in standard or legacy, just because so much revolves around does the person draw their stony silence or rest in peace or whatever shatter storm in the right matchup. So playing more games will hopefully balance out some of that variance in the top eight of the pro tour. So I think that's a good change. It's interesting because you got to play these other decks getting there. But once you get there, these decks that are hated out like affinity or Tron, like how can they ever win? Right? Like if someone's packing so much mainboard hate or sorry, sideboard hate, and you're playing most of the games post board, it's very difficult for you to win. So it'll create an interesting dynamic, uh, but you got to get to the top eight somehow, right? So be getting to the top eight, you still have your advantages. Uh, next question from, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Ploof Sylvan at SP Velvet. Uh, does Wizard care about new customers? <laughs> because the price of the game is nearly prohibited by now. They definitely care about new customers. Uh, they care, <laughs> and the price is high. <laughs> yeah, the the game the the price of the game is high. I I don't know if it's a hundred percent prohibitive uh, because there is ways to enjoy the game. Uh, Seth uh, always talks about Magic: The Gathering online, so that's something to look into. And I mean, the cost of drafting never goes up <laughs> or down like too much. Uh, so you can always draft the game and play it. Uh, but to 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 really answer what he what this poster is getting at and then and, and the fish mail i'm sure they're talking about constructed play and and yes it is high but i mean we talk about this stuff all the time and uh we just looked at an seg atlanta where prices are still kind of high but they're definitely down from where they used to be so uh there is a chance to get into a format and be able to play i mean you look at that uh eldrazi aggro list and that that deck is under 200 dollars and Almost top, you know, top eighted, got close to a top 10 of a large standard uh, SCG open. So take that, you know, take that for what you will. And the other good news is we've already been talking about the price of standard dropping. I would wager that it's going to be significantly lower still come April once cons in Fate Reforge are gone. It, it's that mana base that's killing us. The 
the fetching for Shocklands is still such a huge portion of the price of a standard deck, and we won't have to worry about that anymore. So instead of spending $200 to build a mana base, we'll be able to build a tier one mana base for like $50, which is a a really big deal when it comes to uh, being able to afford a tier one standard deck. Uh, So... Shy at Shitesby, regular fish mail contributor. Can we get goldfish playmats? Sleeves. That's all you, uh, Richard. Uh, I don't know if people want them. The problem <laughs> with these things is you have to get a lot. Like, I'm talking as like 5,000 packs of sleeves or something. So, yeah. <laughs> if there are 5,000 people that want sleeves, yes, we can make them. But until then, I, I don't want to sit in a room full of sleeves. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and don't you have to, from what I know, don't you have to lock these in before people stop start buying yeah. them? I mean, you, you basically yeah, so. commit to, like, because they basically just print them out in a big batch. And there's right. minimum quantities, and it's some obscene number. It's not like, oh, here's like, you know, 10 sets of sleeves. It's, yeah. it's like thousands. Hey, you should run a poll. There you go. The problem is a lot of people vote, but then they never follow through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's something it's something I think about, and maybe we'll get some soon. Maybe I'll just, like, suck it up and use goldfish sleeves for my next 20 years if they don't sell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, Duke Rubington. Oh, again. Uh, what are the chances that part of the Gristlebrand combo is banned in Modern next year? Oh, uh, well, from what we've seen, if the if the grass grows too high, it gets chopped. So uh, if if Gorio's Vengeance and that deck is still doing, if, if it's degenerate and, and comboing off just as easily as Bloom Titan was, you can expect it to get a ban, uh, well, I would say. I could say that. And I think we'll see what happens. I think the the biggest thing right now is it's such a tiny fraction of the metagame. Like, last time I looked, it's, like, less than 2%, sometimes less than 1%. So I think that if it starts to uh, do two things, get a slightly bigger metagame percentage up into the, like, 4 or 5% range, and if it does degenerate things on camera when everyone is watching and people freak out on Reddit or Twitter, then I think there's a decent chance that it will get banned. It's definitely on the watch list that doesn't exist, but I think Gorio's Vengeance is definitely uh, a card of interest when it comes to the next round of bannings. Yep. Yeah, I agree Absolutely. with you guys. Ba- basically, how broken does it look? And if it shows any moderate success, then uh, it'll get hit by something. But more likely, whatever the next tier one deck is will get hit. It's been happening pretty consistently with, I think, first Jun, then Pod, now Twin. So I, my guess is actually Affinity or something. Gonna I was going to say that. It's Affinity's turn. Yeah, it's no. turn. Ravager. It's never Affinity's turn. No, Plating. Forget Ravager. Who cares about yeah, Ravager? Yeah, they, they might hit Plating. Plating is a dumb card. <laughs> and then you can play Ghostfire yeah. Blade. Ghostfire Blade's almost as good, right, Jess? <laughs> um, <laughs> not nearly as good but i mean it would keep the deck honest and and this is coming from an affinity player i mean i wouldn't be surprised um i mean even edge champion i mean edge champion's pretty good I, I don't know it could be something but plating would probably be the the uh the culprit wouldn't that just kill the deck if you took plating like isn't that the reason to play the deck no i just mean got a bunch of like crappy one ones that don't do anything <laughs> right like why would you want to do this yeah well i mean you still have, like, Signal Pest. You still have, like, if you regurgitate your hand, you still have a pretty, like, decent clock. But, I mean, yeah, plating would be rough. I wonder, could that push people towards Tempered Steel? Like, that that's a pretty good finisher. It really stretches your more, mana base, but... Yeah, that or people start playing um, Disciple of the Vault again. Uh, yeah. So there's ways to do it. The other thing with Affinity, though, is it's 
fairly easy to hate on. So that's the only thing that makes me think maybe yeah. they wouldn't ban something from it. Because you can beat Affinity if you want to. If you want to run four Stony oh, Islands yeah. and a couple Shatterstorms, you're going to be Affinity like <laughs> yeah. a high percentage of the time. Yeah, and, and like you guys said, I mean, since the top eights are moving to the, the, f- the five rounds, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be easier than ever to hate on a deck like Affinity uh, post-board, and you're playing so many post-board games. Uh, so that, that does do enough. And I don't think affinity, um, you know, it is a good percentage of the format, but I think it's still tame. Uh, especially now. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely changes involved to kind of make the deck honest. And when you're playing so many post board games, like you said, says if you want to hate out affinity, you can definitely do it uh, pretty easily. And I think that could have made all these arguments for twin, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. If you have a big enough percentage, you're, you're going to get hit to shake things up. Yeah. I think twin. Yeah, well, is, there's twins way harder to hate out though. Like it, right. it is not easy to say, oh, I got these four sideboard cards in my <laughs> yeah. deck. I'm gonna beat twin eighty percent of the time. No, but here, here's my Watsi announcement, right? So you know, even though you can take care of twin, uh, it warped the format such that every deck had to build something in consideration of it. And if you look at every sideboard in modern, uh, there there is some artifact hate for affinity there. And yeah. I mean, the, the the reasons don't have to be that good. I mean, I agree with you guys that it probably doesn't warrant any change, but, you know, this this time next year, Wizards will make a change for the Modern Pro Tour, and oh, one yeah. of these tier oh, one yeah. decks is going to get hit. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. It's going to be a but 50, not... I think, unless yeah. there's another tier one. Or I have Ugin. <laughs> yeah, I, that's the wild card, is is this Eldrazi deck, like, a tier one, 10% of the metagame deck this time next year, and no one knows at this point, but that would definitely be, if that Eldrazi deck wins some events and is a 10% of the metagame deck, that will definitely get hit by a banning, I think. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, this Eldrazi, I mean, I think people are sleeping on this aggro list. I mean, if people are doing crazy stuff like, you know, turn one, double Eldrazi Mimic, turn two, uh, Inverter of Truth, I mean, you're pretty much dead in two turns, so... Or even, you know, turn three, you go Reality Smasher, they're dead. Inverted of Truth, you're dead or your opponent is dead. <laughs> if you well, play it that early, you're probably going to die. <laughs> yeah, I you think... Need you, to have you, full, you need to have at least three three Mimics on the board to get yeah. kill. I mean, even just, like, two Eldrazi Mimics into Thought Not Seer, take your opponent's removal spell. <laughs> like, you're hitting for eight, and you're probably going to win the game anyway, so... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that definitely, and, and that all being open because of Eye of Ugin. So you're right, so, I mean, there's a lot of wild cards, and I do agree with you, Richard, uh, also, that from from the from the uh, statement we got from Wizards of Coast, if, you, if you're getting high up there, they're going to do something about it. All right, Aaron Roots, at uh, Love is Acceptance, would you fight one Eldrazi-sized duck or a hundred <laughs> duck-sized Eldrazis? <laughs> uh. I, I don't know. Uh, ducks are pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, I think, well, me personally, I think I have, like, a thing that all birds are really crazy. They have, like, small bird-sized brains, so you really don't know what they're capable of. Isn't this basically, uh, like, 100 Eldrazi Scions? <laughs> like, yeah. Isn't that what this basically comes... Would you See, but I don't know. Isn't it a I'm sure no 100 tri- Scions? <laughs> I think 100 Scions. Well... Uh, but what if it was Eldrazi Spawn? I would probably fight the Spawn, since they don't have any power. Yeah. Like, I could take 100 Eldrazi spawn any day. Scions are a little harder. I think they'd, like, kick my shins until I fell over or something. Yeah. I I'm, I would have to go with 100 si- duck-sized Eldrazi. Have you ever we, have pl- to, we have to stick to the question. Have you ever played against Emrakul? Like, if you pick one Emrakul-sized Eldrazi, you're just insane. Like, what beats Emrakul? Nothing, really. So I got to yeah. go with the ducks just because of that. 
Yeah, I mean, you really couldn't even physically fight a, an Eldrazi-sized duck, like a huge one. That's just, I don't think, what could you really do? Yeah. I mean, whip out an AK-47 maybe, but I don't does, know what... Does it have Annihilator? That's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a real question. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but I'm leaning towards 100 duck-sized Eldrazi. I'm going to take the duck, because at the end of the day, it's a duck, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it has feathers, it clacks, it's a duck. But we're talking about like space aliens here for a hundred duck sized Jazzy. So I'm gonna go with the uh the earthly duck here. Yeah. Uh Matthew M. Kelly at Maddie Boy Kelly. Grove of the Burn Willows, Cellar Hold. I am weighing this versus the expectation of a reprint in Modern Masters twenty fifteen, potentially. Sell, especially if you're not using them, but I would still say sell. I mean, even if you are using them, buy uh whatever that card is, Carpusin Forest or whatever it is. Yeah, Carpus and Forest. What does that do? It's the red green pain land, Richard. Come on. Oh, is this a pain land? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, but that's the you, budget substitute. You've been around since Tron. Ice Age. Richard, I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather just play I'm... with Taiga, i.e. Grove of the Burn Willows. <laughs> yeah, but we don't have Taiga, so <laughs> Grove of the Burn Willows, man. What is what does like three life mean? Nothing. But I, I mean really though, if you're playing GPs and you're playing the SCG tour and trying to like grind your way to the championship, keep your groves. If you're playing an F and M or like stuff like that, you're not losing much by paying the plane land over the eighty dollar or whatever it is now yeah. grove. So I mean, I, I don't even think you're. I don't even think you're. Even for SCG opens, I think you'd still be okay with Carpus and Forest. Forest. I mean, it's not that bad. I think you lose a bit, but it's not. It's really not much. You don't lose many yeah. percentage points by switching, and you save seventy five dollars <laughs> a copy or something. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that's that's all the fish mail we we got through. Nine fish mails this week. Oh, nice. And we answered uh, we answered as many as we could during the live cast too. So hopefully we got to enough of them. Keep sending them in. We will answer them. Awesome fish mail this week. Thanks for sending them in, uh, gentlemen. I think that wraps up the cast for this week. Any other pressing matters out the door? I don't think so. I think we got to everything. Uh, no, so we got Oath on Moto this week. Or yes. by, by the time yes. you hear this podcast, it'll be up. Yes, uh, free so, release. So Seth will be brewing like madly with Oath. Uh, and yeah. we're just in time to do the, you know, next week we'll do the preview for the Pro Tour. So Pro Tour is coming up. And uh, that's when all this crazy modern stuff will settle down and we'll figure out what the new modern is and what the prices of all these cards will be going forth. So... We have interesting couple of weeks coming up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, week after that, we got Super Bowl and, and Pro Tour results. Interesting. What are you more excited for, the Super Bowl or for the Pro Tour? I, actually, I think Super Bowl. Mm, I'm probably going to go with Pro Tour, I think. I, I enjoy the Super Bowl, but I don't especially care about either of the teams. So That, that is true. That is true. I, I think it is going to be a good game, and I think it is going to be a good Pro Tour, so I'm going to have to juggle both, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, especially with twin being gone, I- I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. In theory, the pro tour should end before the Super Bowl starts. At least that's what they're telling everyone. Cause a lot of people were mad about them putting the finals on the same day as the Super Bowl. But <laughs> okay. All right. That makes sense. Then. No, but okay. you gotta like wake up and prepare for your party and go to your party and stuff. It's, it's I don't know why they do this. Could they not just, just choose the week after? Like you're just like, hey guys, I have to go to the bathroom. You 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 watch a little bit of the pro tour on your phone or your tablet or what have you and you just go back to the party well so, people fantasy, are going to be going to the bathroom a lot they're going to be worried about you magic but... you know what are you going to do <laughs> well i don't know 
and people are already were complaining about the Valentine's Day being game day weekend, which is the following weekend. So two weekends in a row, we get events on other things happening in the real world. Game day is like whatever, but this is like the pro tour. Why why are you trying to yeah. take away viewers, right? <laughs> like they play like the Puppy Bowl and other jank like that because they know they can't beat the pro tour. But Wizards is like, oh, we're gonna like take on the Super Bowl head on and and draw our viewers away from the Super Bowl with this Pro Tour? I don't know what they're thinking. Wizards has must attack each turn if, if able to. <laughs> Gotta go straight into the Super Bowl. Like, whatever, guys. Yeah. Like, let me, know, let me show you bold. our Twitch stream. 5,000 viewers. Yeah, how do you like that? Yeah. It's bold, but, uh, yeah, hopefully it does end before the Super Bowl begins. Yeah, that would be awful. Yeah. Wait, top eight's untimed, though, right? So you got, like, untimed. Oh, yeah, that's true. Untimed five rounds. Oh, and it, and this is the one with five rounds, right? This is the start of the five round thing. But I think they're yeah. gonna jump between matches, right? They're not gonna oh. show the completion of each match. The first, the first four games. So the first round, they're gonna show the entirety of two matches, and the other two matches, they're gonna hold when they get to a potentially match-ending game until the other match ends, and then switch over. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be cutting it close. I mean, untimed, five rounds. It's just going to be burn versus infect yeah, anyway, and the matches are going to oh, take, yeah. like, seven minutes each. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, this wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks for, for joining us, and we will see you guys next time. Uh, gentlemen, it's been another awesome cast. Uh, let's do it again next week. This is the crew signing out.